this time of year we celebrate America's independence and this document, the Constitution, this made America different from every other country that came before. But is this good enough? It's the best Constitution on the earth. I think the forefathers knew what they were doing. Lots of people we asked had no opinion. Have you read the Constitution? No. no. Okay. What is the Constitution? Question? I don't know like, what that is. Like the amendments? <laughs> What's that? I think it's like laws. Yes, the supreme law. Old people probably wrote yeah, it. Mm -hmm. They're dead. And is what they wrote good law today? The idea was right for the time that it was made in. Okay. It could use some changes. It's antiquated. Yes, this did accept slavery. Fortunately, the people who wrote this also made it possible to change it. We therefore declare... Of course, change isn't always good. Alcohol's national annihilation by an amendment to the federal constitution. That was stupid. That was yeah. people getting real jazzed up about something they didn't need to get jazzed up about. They eventually repealed prohibition. Are there other good changes we should make to make our constitution even better? We asked people, some with legal and political expertise, are there things you would change? Oh goodness, there's so much. <laughs> Probably add a balanced budget amendment. Would that stop the politicians from bankrupting us? One reason they spend so much is to get reelected endlessly. Could we change that? Maybe term limits. 18 year terms for the Supreme Court. Maybe the confirmation fights would be less bitter and partisan. Others want to take term limits further. Politics should never be the family business. So if your father, mother, siblings, uncle, cousins were elected, to federal office, you can't. No more Kennedy clan, no Bush dynasty. You can't get fooled again. I like any idea that limits government power. Term limits might. So would killing the Commerce Clause. It's been interpreted to grant the government virtually unlimited power over the economy. This has included forcing people to participate in federal pension programs, monopolizing health insurance for the elderly, enabling the war on drugs. There's no reason government should have any, any authority over commerce whatsoever. I don't know why it's in there. It's got to go. Many people want the Constitution amended to restrain the growth and power of Washington's agencies. The administrative agencies that now infest the banks of the Potomac are both a threat to Americans' liberties and to Americans' prosperities. This permanent bureaucracy, it has to be accountable to somebody. People have different ideas about how to do that. This congressman proposes... Overturning Citizens United so people can't spend millions of dollars in elections, in corrupting elections. So we return our democracy to the town halls and citizen involvement that our founders envisioned. Overturn Citizens United? Limits on political speech usually entrench the insider's power. The main point of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights was to protect the rights of the individual. I would specify more rights. So how about a right to earn a living? How about a right to not have um, the government steal from you? Some of our rights, of course, are already listed, like free speech. But today, many people want to limit that. Being able to speak your mind is important as long as it's not in a way that is going to be long-term harmful to people. Really? Take free speech out of the Constitution? Never take the speech away from the people. I'm glad this man defended even hate speech. If you hate it, somebody else might love it. So as long as there's no action 
to physically harm somebody, keep the free speech. The founders also included the right to bear arms. Back then, you needed them. But now, many people say, we no longer do. We have police officers, we have a military, so do we really need them? No. Others want to strengthen the Second Amendment. Just add a few lines. This means that we can absolutely arm civilians and you can't pass laws restricting uh, restricting the ownership of firearms. The only reason, reason we can stand on freedom is because we got the right to bear arms. We all like a micro-government in our own way. Micro-governments. I like that. And if we need someone governing us, maybe state governments have better ideas. A lot of state constitutions have something called a gift clause. And a gift clause is a prohibition on government subsidies to special interests. And along the same lines, I would include in the federal constitution protections against the abuse of eminent domain that are also found in many state constitutions. Eminent domain lets government take people's property for what politicians consider public use. How did government grow to have so much power over everything? This was designed to limit government's power. Sadly, it's often ignored. I got a copy of the Bill of Rights here. And if you look at the First Amendment, it says that the right of people to peaceably assemble shall not be infringed. And not even libertarians bothered so much to invoke that as to fight the lockdowns and quarantining. The right way to amend the Constitution is just enforce the one that we have right now. Right. Meddling might bring unintended consequences like Prohibition did. Our founders wrote documents on old pieces of paper that were designed to give you life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I suppose if we were gonna change one thing, perhaps they should have done it in bold so more people would have paid attention. They did a decent job. I don't know if I could have done better in their shoes, so they're all right, they get a pass. They do. And let's give the last word to this wise man we met in Times Square. The people got the power in this country, and that's what makes it so beautiful. You've been driving in the carpool lane for the past three miles alone. Have you seen these different comedy skits? Alone? <laughs> well, you should know that my pronouns are they, them. So we can drive in the carpool lane. They're from a conservative Christian satire site called the Babylon Bee. Their videos get millions of views. Conservative Christians are not known for doing comedy skits. Christian conservatives kind of used to be the ones who were very dour and self-serious. Now, he says, it's the left who are self-serious. They're the ones that have trouble laughing at themselves. If you've been watching Fox News, uh, you know that the real enemy is Dr. Fauci. Their comedy shows still mock the right, but often tediously. This man has been working on behalf of the public. It's like a lecture. It's not like a lecture, it is a lecture. I mean, they really become a parody of themselves at that point. At one point, the late night shows became vaccine commercials. Vaccine. The left used to be anti-establishment and anti-corporation, and now they've become the blob. A liberal worshiping blob. Trevor, you call yourself a Cuomosexual, and I, I, <laughs> I agree with you. I feel like I'm a Cuomosexual, too. Stuff like that created a market for something new. We have to create our own platform, and that's what we're doing, and we're super happy to be leading the comedic conversation on the right. You're traveling through another dimension. 
a dimension of ever-changing boundaries. The woke left makes that easy. This is the woke zone. Here, this MSNBC reporter calls protesters burning buildings not unruly. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is not, generally speaking, unruly. That kind of stuff feeds the bee. We see it. We're just trying not to focus on a few nonviolent things like the complete and utter desolation of a city. Do you ever feel gratitude to the left that they give you so much material? We have to write things that are funnier than things they're actually doing, and that makes our job very difficult. <laughs> it does make satire tougher. John Kerry warns that the war in Ukraine might distract from climate change. He actually did that. This sketch imagines the bees writers struggling to find new material. Cosmo magazine features a morbidly obese woman on the cover as the picture of health happened. A math professor says that two plus two equals four is racist. But the problem is, all these things actually happened. A math professor really said saying two plus two equals four is racist? Two plus two equals four is a colonialist, um, white supremacist idea. Why? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Oh, I give up! Satire is impossible! Today, the bee reaches more people than the onion. The establishment doesn't like that, so they sick their so-called fact-checkers on the bee. Does Snopes, for example, not understand that you're making jokes? I think that they know exactly what our intention is, and they just don't like us. This satire about Bernie Sanders rounding up ISIS members to vote got fact-checked by Snopes. Of course that's a joke. It's almost a real badge of honor, you know, when you get fact-checked because there's this idea that it was so representative of the group that we're making fun of that people couldn't tell the difference between our satire and something that Bernie Sanders actually said. These fact checks, stupid as they are, cause problems. It kills my reach that Facebook semi-bans me because of these idiot fact checkers. How much is this hurting you? It's definitely killed our reach. Recently, Twitter censored the bee. You've been locked out of Twitter now for several months for doing what? giving Rachel Levine our Man of the Year Award. The Assistant Secretary of Health is a transgender woman. Calling her the Man of the Year is a mean joke. I wouldn't make it, but it doesn't need to be censored. Twitter says if you admit your mistake and delete your tweet, they'll allow you back. So why don't you? Twitter has the, the capability to just delete the tweet themselves. They want us to bend the knee and be the ones to click, yes, we did acknowledge hateful conduct, and we're not going to do that. Good evening, person that we treat like a moron. Today, a bunch of comedians mock the left. J.P. Sears, Ryan Long. Your racial, racial identity is the most important thing. thing. Everything, Everything should be looked at through the lens of race. Freedom tunes. He wants people to pay for their own birth control. Oh, no. Maybe things are changing because today the most watched late night comic is often not one of the network's hosts, but Greg Gutfeld of Fox. DA Chase Boudin got it recalled like a Toyota with defective airbags. And even some left-leaning comedians now mock the intolerant left. Old-fashioned women. Oh, God. You know, the ones with wombs. Ricky Gervais created The Office. 
Now the humorless left attacks his jokes. I think it's all of our jobs to speak out about this. It's the lowest form of comedy. It is hack. It is played out. And those were terrible jokes. He's only saying common sense things, but it seems as though the left audience is not okay with that. You can't say this. You can't say that. You see it in the reviews. Woke professional critics give Gervais terrible ratings, but audiences love what he does. People love Dave Chappelle, too, though the critics often don't. It's art. And you're free to interpret this art however you'd like. People like Dave Chappelle, Ricky Gervais, they're doing really well going in the other direction. They're not expressing opinions that are that would have been that out of step with people on the left just five or ten years ago. Same with Bill Maher. Let's get this straight. It's not me who's changed. It's the left. Leftists have become so um, you know, religiously zealous about their beliefs, they start turning comedy into an opportunity to lecture. And we find that comedy is funnier when you just put comedy first. Clearly, the market's speaking. Lots of people want more comedy and free speech, too. It's just everyone who disagrees with me is a Nazi. So it's imperative that I change their mind with force and violence. Thanks for watching our video. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and hit the notification bell. That way we make sure you'll get the next one. Trust the science. Trust the science. The superheroes, the scientists. I'm tired of hearing that. Trust the science. Trust the science. Today, fewer Americans say they trust science. They don't trust science because science is increasingly untrustworthy. Science writer Andrew Follett has analyzed research for NASA and the Energy Department. The only group that trusts science right now is Democrats. I trust the scientists. Maybe that's because much government science is being misused by politicians. For example, some activists want to limit ocean fishing with something they call the Climate Solutions Act. It calls climate change the greatest threat to American national security and promises equitable solutions to every special group of victims. The administration's deputy director of climate told Congress that the bill will bring exciting, urgently needed progress on climate change. Jane Lubchenco cited this paper that made the remarkable claim that closing more of the ocean to fishing can increase catches of fish. I saw oceans of opportunity. But oops, the paper was retracted. One scientist called its logic biologically impossible. And it turned out the paper was written by Lubchenko's brother-in-law. But she never told Congress that, or that she edited the paper. It's an egregious violation. Her goal is to get the government to spend more on environmental regulation. And the party in power likes that. So they don't, they don't care if she just breaks the rules? They could not care less. Her job from their perspective is to generate papers that rationalize and justify the regulations they want to impose. The White House never punished Lipchenko for her ethics violation. In fact, after her testimony, she was appointed co-head of President Biden's Scientific Integrity Task Force. We need to have scientific integrity. Now, the National Academy of Sciences has banned her for her improper conduct. 
yet she's still head of scientific integrity for the White House. Today's bad government science goes well beyond a few bad actors. A lot of what's called science today is just left-wing advocacy. New fields like fat studies, African studies, Latinx studies, queer studies, these fields are essentially entirely fake. Fake? Well, some of it's clearly fake because specialists in these fields keep being fooled by people who submit gibberish. This ridiculous paper, Embracing Fatness as Self-Care in the Era of Trump, was accepted by this university's Fat Studies Conference. It was written by this person. Hello, I am C. Matheson. The conference invited C. Matheson, who is actually comedian Steven Crowder, to speak via Zoom. Crowder disguised himself as a woman and did. You may believe, wrongly as many people do, that fat is a threat to your life. His speech was absurd. Every scoop of Ben and Jerry's should be seen as an act of resistance. But attendees gave him rave reviews. What a talk. They praised his presentation of Donald Trump's fat phobia and said this could be part of how we fight rape culture. After the conference, the head of the Journal of Body Weight and Society even asked C. Matheson to review a scientific paper. <laughs> Crowder's just the latest person to pull off a hoax like that. <laughs> I have now closely considered the revisions of your manuscript, Dog Park. <laughs> These researchers fooled the journal Gender, Place, and Culture with a ludicrous paper on rape culture at dog parks. And will recommend its publication in Gender, Place, and Culture. In all, seven so-called scientific journals accepted their ridiculous submissions. <laughs> Follett blames this perversion of science on the government. The government wants to generate that kind of nonsense. Now, the government doesn't want nonsense studies. But its science agencies, like much of America, have been taken over by leftists who want to promote their agenda and themselves. And in science, you promote yourself by getting papers published. Important papers can advance careers, generate media interest, and secure essential funding. And government provides most of that funding. Nobody wants to publish something that goes against what the paymaster says. You don't get the tenure track position unless you get published. And you don't get published unless... You don't get published unless the NSF likes your results. Or the NIH or the CDC. That's how bad science gets published. There was this paper, well-funded by the National Science Foundation, and said that glacier science is sexist. Because the majority of glaciological knowledge that we have today stems from knowledge created by men about men. Our National Science Foundation gave her research team almost half a million dollars. It's our tax money paying for it. I'm ticked off. They're giving it out specifically to promote their agenda. Wrong as this is, I don't think most Americans know or care that People in government now use your money to promote progressive nonsense. I mean, I think we'll all start caring when the bridges start falling down and the planes start crashing. That's the inevitable end result of this. Hope you liked this video. And if you did, please click this button to help us make more. School shooting in South Florida. 17 people shot to death. What can be done about school shootings? Some say kids will be safer 
if some teachers carry guns. President Trump said that. We need to let people know, you come into our schools, you're going to be dead. Trump was mocked for suggesting teachers have guns. Armored teacher is completely insane. It's a terrible idea. A terrible idea. But Trump's critics probably don't even know that many teachers have brought guns to school for years. In Texas, teachers carry in about 200 schools. This high school advertises that. I can see that sign out on the highway. Boy, it's a great, man. Parents we interviewed here like the policy. It's a good idea. I think we need it. It makes me feel safer. I love the keen gun policy. Superintendent Ricky Stevens created it, saying if there's trouble, teachers want to go defend the kids. We know our staff and our teachers are going to go. Do we want them to go with a pencil or go with a pistol? Everybody's against it. This Florida student says teachers carrying guns is a terrible idea. You're asking a teacher to uh, f uh, fight an assault rifle with a handgun. That seems like a pretty unfair fight to me. The teachers have handguns against somebody with a big gun. That's not much. It's not much, but it's better than nothing. If you go there with nothing, you have no chance of stopping anything. The police come. They see your teacher with a gun. How do you keep them from shooting her? We train a lot with our local law enforcement. So that helps us because we want them to at least know we're there and at least recognize us. If they happen to get shot while they're stopping a tragedy, all of our guardians have said, you know, that's just the price of being a guardian. His teachers saw how during the Florida school shooting, the security guard waited outside. It made me mad. It's a reason she's glad she could carry her gun at school. You have to have a fighting chance if something should happen at our school. We hid her identity because she and the school don't want a potential attacker to know which teachers are armed. Are you carrying now? Of course. Many people say armed teachers create new dangers. Teacher accidentally fired a gun in his classroom. At this California school, a teacher mistakenly shot at the ceiling. One student was slightly hurt by falling debris. But that's the only incident we could find where a student was injured. Took a rifle to On the other hand, armed teachers have stopped school shootings. 16-year-old Luke Woodham has been arrested. When this student killed two classmates, an assistant principal with a gun held the killer at gunpoint until police arrived. We don't know how often armed teachers deter shootings. The media can't cover crimes that never happened. The media also distort what President Trump proposed. Donald Trump said teachers should have guns. Teachers should not be required to protect and serve and to teach. Required? No teacher's required to carry. It's voluntary. Those who want to bring their guns to school can. Here's another distortion. I really do not support the idea of arming teachers. Arming teachers. Arming teachers, a new federal program? That's not what the president proposed. Lots of teachers already have guns. All a school has to do is allow some to bring their guns to school. At the Keene School District, however, Superintendent Stevens did create a new government program. The school purchases a gun and then they, we give them and register them to our teachers. That way, he says, he can make sure all teachers have training on the same type of gun. Finally, as we ponder the best way to keep students safe, we should address the scariest myth. The epidemic of shootings. Epidemic of school shootings. Despite what the media say, there is no epidemic of school shootings. No sharp increase. 
School shootings kill far fewer kids than driving, suicide, drowning, even suffocating. Why now? School shootings are not in a big uptick. Exactly right. But we prepare for them because if even one shooting happens, it's more than we would want. You're 10 times as likely to die suffocating. Right. I mean, you can't protect against all these things. No, but we do train our kids in school how to not suffocate and how not to drown. Certainly, Stephen's ARM teacher program is cheaper than what my town does. New York City spends hundreds of millions of dollars stationing police officers in and around schools. Of course, here and in most blue states, suggesting that some teachers carry weapons horrifies people. They don't understand that a responsible, trained teacher with a firearm is better than having a teacher with nothing. Texas will definitely probably be leading the way when it comes to protecting our kids with weapons and that New York would choose to go a radically different way. I'm glad that we live in a country where the local people can decide what goes on in their school district and not a bunch of people in New York City. It's good that America has 50 states. That allows experiments. Teachers in New York City may fear guns, but teachers in Texas can serve and protect. One part of life where central planners always say government must take control is disaster relief. Uh, power is out throughout the entirety of New Orleans. After a disaster, central planners are quick to say a big storm requires big government. College professor Jacob Remus argues that. We all face increasingly strong storms and you need some sort of uh, group of people to figure out the process by which these communities are going to rebuild. After Katrina, FEMA made people's lives worse. They were awful. FEMA was also run by someone who was put there in a patronage position who had no idea how to run an agency. Isn't that what always happens in government? No, absolutely not. It can be run by technocrats, people who know the specifics, who have this expertise. Technocrats with expertise. It's natural to assume that if government just employed the right people, hey, he must be smart, he went to Harvard, then those experts will make sure the light bulb gets changed the right way. During Hurricane Katrina, Matt Mayer worked for the Department of Homeland Security. We're spending billions, how can you not be prepared? Because it's big government. Big government rarely does anything well. Mac watched the government experts make big plans. It makes sense to people. Big disaster, you want to have a plan from the top. And we have lots of plans. We're going to capture 10% of oil on open water when there's oil spill, when the fact is we've never been able to capture more than 3%. After Hurricane Katrina, while FEMA often made problems worse, Walmart was praised for its relief efforts. Why would Walmart do it better? Walmart's business is to make money. And so they have a massively sophisticated weather system that allows them to track. They know where do we need to surge in assets before a storm. People are going to start buying radios, batteries, food. Then storm comes, they get to make sure those stores open because every minute that store is closed is a minute they lose money. No, 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 we don't want to rely on capitalists, says the central planner. The structure of capitalism is that people and firms compete. That is not the way we're going to build a community and a society in which everyone helps each other. At the time of Katrina, FEMA's budget was billions of dollars higher than it was 10 years before. Yet the central planners now say FEMA didn't have enough money. 
That's a big part of it. We have decreased the number of people who work for the weather service whose job it was to recruit tornado spotters. Violent tornado. Let's intercept. Let's go, let's go forward. So what if there are fewer government tornado spotters? Storm chasers spontaneously just do that. That area could easily put down a tornado very soon. But when ordinary people pitch in, politicians often feel left out. We federalize everything. Why? Presidents don't want to be caught flat-footed. They love the photo ops. They also love declaring disaster areas. Bill Clinton set the record for single-year declarations of 157 in one year. Oh, good. My government's helping me. They're putting blue tarps on my roof. This is great stuff. Most new presidents have increased the number of declarations. This chart shows the increase. President Obama has averaged 140 disasters per year. The increase might make sense if there were many more disasters, except... There aren't many more disasters. We haven't had a major earthquake uh, in, in the U.S., in the last several years. We haven't had a major hurricane strike the U.S. in several years. Tornadoes are down. But a few years ago, Oklahoma took a big hit. National Weather Service in Norman has issued a tornado warning. For three days, tornadoes tore through the state. They killed dozens of people, many of them children at this school. And thousands of homes were destroyed. It's like a big vacuum cleaner without a... The vacuum bag just come in, sucked it up, and spit it out everywhere. And I look around, and the whole back of the house is gone. I think this is a picture of the kitchen. And this was not our kitchen sink. Oklahoma was in trouble then. You want the big experts to come in and fix it. But that doesn't mean we should do it. Who's going to do it if not the government? States, locals, communities, neighbors. Are they capable? Of course they're capable. They've been doing it for 200 years. After the Oklahoma tornadoes, politicians said what they always say, give us more funds. Our citizens don't need or want a debate on funding. What they want is help. The president then ordered FEMA to help, and FEMA spent lots of money. But even NBC's anchors noticed that the private recovery work was much more efficient. There's FEMA, and then there's the faith-based FEMA. If you're waiting for the government, you're going to be in for an awful long wait. The Baptist men, they're going to get it done yep. tomorrow. Sam Porter is one of the Baptist men Harry Smith talked about. And they know our logo, and Sean should be able to get in. He's the leader of Oklahoma Baptist Disaster Relief. His volunteers got bulldozers and cleared tornado debris from more than 1,000 homes. I've done disasters all over the world, tsunamis, earthquakes, hurricanes. Anytime there's a storm, anytime there's any kind of dis destruction anywhere, we're on it immediately. Well, FEMA often takes forever. You government lovers are always talking about fixing government. It never gets fixed. The response to that should not be to throw up our hands and say, well, oh, well, FEMA is incompetent, it doesn't do anything. The response should be to rebuild a better FEMA. You need a central agency to coordinate. But you don't. You just need some Americans who care. They brought in bobcats and bulldozers and chainsaws, and they just went to work. Yeah. Within days, the Baptists gave them a new home and built them a storm shelter. The volunteers will install 120 of these for families who lost homes. It was a mess out here, and they cleaned it up. They cleaned it up and fixed it up, got us in a home, and they've done that for our whole neighborhood. Jason and Maddie Velasquez asked FEMA for a home loan. They got no response for three weeks. Then they were rejected.
All of a sudden, we hear hammering, and Maddie looks back, and she grabs my shoulder and look up, and they're already on our roof, even before we really said yes. Like, they're already up on our roof, Doing laying it. up our entire uh, roof with tarp. We had people come from Florida, Alabama. Yep. Without asking, strangers boarded up their broken windows. They came out with saws and just started chopping all these wood. You have people driving through, handing you meals. Again, it was the faith-based FEMA that brought relief. People I didn't know would just walk up and give us money. It's just overwhelming to me that we were that taken care of. It's what happens every day in communities when there's a, an event or a tragedy that needs to be dealt with. Most of it's just neighbors helping each other. Yep, neighbors helping neighbors. We need the barn raised. Who's going to show up on Saturday to make it happen? Spontaneous. Spontaneous. It's way better. No one organizes it? Nobody does. Communities all across America every day come together and figure out how to meet the needs of, the, of their neighbors. It's called being an American. I don't think there's any kind of disaster that can take place that the nonprofit and faith-based groups cannot take care of. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. No, they can't. That's a nasty title for my new book, but politicians can't do what private individuals can. Over the years, politicians have promised us energy independence, world peace, an end to poverty. If we just give them more money, they will solve those problems. But no, they can't. Their plans go bad. Head Start doesn't work. College tuition pays for spas. The TSA is awful. She actually felt, touched my vagina. But wait, you say, if government can't, what about cutting edge science like NASA? America did send a man to the moon. You got the flag up now. And we all like this. Beautiful, just beautiful. But think about it. It cost billions. And what did we get? Promos for a breakfast drink. Tang instant breakfast drink went with them. NASA technology did bring us the Catscape. But our billions haven't gotten us much. We get lots of delayed projects. Government science is clumsy. By contrast, for a fraction of the cost, a private group called the X Prize does better. Offer a prize and they will come. They promised $10 million to anyone who could launch three men into outer space. 25 teams competed for the prize. I have never been myself as creative as I have eyeballing this damn prize. Bert Rutan's Spaceship One won the prize. Then billionaire investors said, I want a piece of that. Richard Branson came in and bought the rights and commercialized it to create Virgin Galactic a company that plans to run a tour bus in space. Already Tom Hanks, Ashton Kutcher, Katy Perry, and Brangelina bought tickets. The fare is $200,000 now, but Branson says someday it'll be as cheap as normal airfare. This is Richard Branson, and he's here to service you. I'm told private companies won't want to do this. There's no money to be made in going to the moon, so this has to be done by government. Um, you know, all new innovation really comes out of the private sector. It comes out of entrepreneurs. How are they going to make money? By charging for the ride. Politicians say... Government support is critical in helping businesses get new energy ideas off the ground. We're programmed to believe that if it's for real high-tech, futuristic innovation, it's got to come from the government. And it's just the opposite. The feds have already thrown billions at failures like Solyndra. And that was tiny compared to the Clinch River Breeder Reactor, Solar One, the Triad Ethanol Plant, 
and the hundreds of billions wasted on sin fuels. Some things work out, some things don't. Progressives say government's boondoggles are worth the risk. I like the idea of government taking my, my dollars, my tax dollars, and investing in the technologies of tomorrow. Progressives also like government forcing private companies to do it. Those fuel efficiency standards have forced Detroit to innovate in ways that it might not have uh, without them. If government didn't dictate 35 miles per gallon, we wouldn't get there? We need government to force it? I think we do need government to force it. But no, we don't. While government spent billions, XPRIZE offered a $10 million prize for a car that gets 100 miles per gallon. The announcement sparks an immediate and powerful worldwide response. We're in. we got to do this. We're going to go for this in a big way. To meet the challenge, some teams use gasoline, electricity, even compressed air. 130 teams around the world entered. It's proving what's possible. The design phase was first. Cars had to pass a looks test. Then came the safety and performance tests. Most teams were eliminated. Oh well, we had the range, we had the mileage, but uh, in the zero to 60, our transmission just didn't hold up. This team won the prize with a car that got 102 miles per gallon. I can't buy these cars. Not yet, but these cars are slowly getting into production. Components of them are going into the large auto manufacturers. One more example. Thousands of gallons of crude oil are oozing. Government took charge after the BP oil spill. Make no mistake, we'll continue to do whatever is necessary. Have we brought in the best and the brightest of all the minds that could deal with this? No, government hadn't. We started looking at this and said, you know, reinventing how to clean up oil on the surface hasn't changed since the Exxon Valdez 21 years earlier. So how would he improve it? I don't know, but the competition will bring the best ideas to the top. And it's odd to hear you say, I don't know. The government assumption is that someone in government does know and can pick, but you're giving away all this money and you say, I don't know. We don't pick the winner in advance like the government does in research. The research uh, uh, funding agency says, you're a good researcher, here's money. We flip it and say, I don't know which of you hundred teams are the best one, but the one who achieves this will pay you. We only pay for success. And I'm waiting for that great big check. So Wendy Schmidt offered a one and a half million dollar prize for a faster way to clean up oil. 350 teams around the world registered to enter that competition. We gave it our best shot and we'll see what happens. Some teams had no prior experience with oil spills. We get asked all the time, we go, how long have you been in the oil industry? And I, well, counting today? The top 10 teams went head-to-head -head at the world's largest oil spill cleanup facility in New Jersey, and seven of the 10 teams doubled the pre-existing standards that had been used to clean up oil for the last, the last 20 years. If we get this pump working, we will win. One of the teams that doubled it was a team that met in a Las Vegas tattoo parlor. I kid you not. You can't make up this stuff. And they built a scale model in one of the guy's pools, and it still doubled the ability to clean up oil spill from the last 21 years. So for 20 years, they tried and tried, and they can clean up oil spills, but only at a certain speed. With the prize, you double it. Actually, the winning team for the prize quadrupled it. Why can't the Environmental Protection Agency lead stuff like this? Well, they could, but they didn't, did they? No, they can't! Just because government can't, that doesn't mean we can't. We can't. Individuals succeed while government fails. Protesters and politicians agree. 
wages should be higher. It's a fairness issue. For years, America's minimum wage was $5.15 an hour. A couple of years ago, Congress raised it to $7.25. Progressives say it should be higher. Absolutely. What would that be about? It would be about $9 an hour. Well, it's a nice idea. Economist Russ Roberts points out setting minimums has unintended consequences. First reaction is, great, I'm going to get a raise. This is fantastic. I'm finally going to be able to buy this, that, and that, take care of my kids. And that, of course, is part of the political appeal of the minimum wage. That's the seen benefit. That's the seen benefit, if you keep your job. What would happen if the government forced my company to increase wages? Gosh. You guys happy? You want that? Aren't you guys? Aren't you, aren't you underpaid? Come on. So, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt about it. So let's give them a 50% raise. Your first thought is, that's awesome, 50%. Your second thought is, I wonder if they're going to keep as many camera people as they had before. We quit uh, hiring people without experience. Merv Christ runs the Prime Cut, a combination meat counter and bar in Bakersfield, California. Minimum wage jobs are an entry-level job to get someone some experience to do something. You raise that high enough, you cut those people out of the market completely. When California's minimum wage rose to $8 an hour, he stopped hiring new people. Low-wage jobs used to be a way for kids and the unskilled to get into the labor force to prove themselves. Most every gas station used to offer free window cleaning. Not anymore. The construction industry used to be a place teens could get a foot in the door, learn the discipline of regular work. But the minimum wage left many teens out of jobs. No wonder teen unemployment is now 25%. If they were to get rid of the minimum wage, we could easily hire more people. Warren Myers manages public parks. When the minimum wage went up, he replaced workers with machines. We're trying them out now, trying out various automatic gate solutions. I much prefer having a person because that person can, can be friendly and provide a smile and they can provide information about the park and they can answer questions and where are the bathrooms, but... With the higher minimum wage, he switched to automated ticket machines. Fewer people, more unemployment. In fact, unemployment has risen more in states that raise their minimum wage. What would happen if we threw out the minimum wage? Oh, oh my goodness. What that leaves is an employer in the catbird seat to drive that wage as low as possible. But wait a second. These businesses would like to pay their employees as little as possible, but they must pay more than minimum wage because good workers have choices. At this bowling alley restaurant, most workers make more than the minimum, but they didn't start there. I was minimum wage as dishwasher, which was like uh, um, $3.75, $4, somewhere. It's been a while back. Now he makes more than $10 an hour. Why is it that only 5% or less than the American workforce earns the minimum wage? The other 95, 97% that earn more, why are they being paid so much? Is it because their employers just feel guilty paying them less? No, it's because employers have to pay them extra to keep good workers. Kelsey started working here when she was just 13. For being only 13, I think I was making a good amount of money. So, minimum wage is fine. <laughs> now, Kelsey makes as much as $20 an hour. If you work hard, you can make more. It's just, you have to prove yourself. <laughs> but had the minimum wage been what some politicians wanted, Increasing the minimum wage to $9.50 Kelsey may have never had that chance. Her job might have disappeared. Some business at the margin says, I can make money paying people $6 an hour. I can't make it paying them $7.25. I won't. 
expand. If the cost of expanding workers um, is too much for you to absorb, then you probably don't have the best business model going. Whoa, that's harsh. Then you deserve to fail? How does that help workers? What could be more cruel than to raise your wage artificially and now you have no wage? Higher unemployment thanks to government's good intentions. Do you have a license? You better. Government often demands licenses before you're allowed to work. People think this is a good idea. We license drivers, we license dogs. People think it makes us safer. But licensing also does something bad. If people want to work, let them work. 11-year-old Madison Root was told she could not work because she didn't have a license. She wanted money for braces, so she tried selling mistletoe. Here she is in a tree, picking it. But when she went to sell it at this outdoor market, police told her, stop, that's illegal. They told her she could beg, but she can't sell anything. So her father sent us this video. I was amazed that people cannot work hard, but they can be just lazy. I assume that's not exactly what the cops meant, but the fact is, all over America, people want to work but can't because it's so hard to get proper licenses. In the 1950s, well, only about 1 in 20 Americans needed the government's blessing to do their job. Today, that number is more than 1 in 3. This new book, Bottleneckers, reveals how licensing rules allow older businesses to profit by keeping newcomers out. These are people who want to erect barriers, who want to put in place bottlenecks because they want to keep competitors out. It's kind of like what happens on a highway if you close a lane. The established existing businesses are like these motorcycles. Licenses don't slow them down. During my consumer reporter days, I assumed licenses protected us from scams like these. We are not ripping people off. But licensing doesn't stop that. Georgia funeral director who was pitching dead bodies out in the woods behind his funeral establishment. He was licensed. Bernie Madoff was licensed. Teachers in public schools who have sex with their students, licensed. Licensing doesn't stop that. What licensing does do is crush new entrepreneurs. Want to braid people's hair? This woman was told she couldn't do it legally unless she spent thousands of hours to get a cosmetology license. She begged the government just let me braid. I was making these phone calls to the Board of Cosmetology saying, I don't want to do cosmetology. All I want to do is braid hair. No, not without our license, said the Cosmetology Board. These are people who have a clear conflict of interest. Of course they do. She wants to compete with them. Cosmetologists got together and they went to the legislature and they lobbied for the creation of a license. Makes me wonder, how could I get rid of my competition? I'm annoyed by all these TV channels. I'd like to limit that. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. So and what you need to do, John, is that you need to go to the government and ask for special protection. You need to claim that there's some public interest, some way that the public is going to be protected by limiting the number of providers. And that actually happened in America. When I started in TV, most viewers just had ABC, CBS, NBC, and boring public television people could have had many more channels. Cable TV technology was available. But lobbyists for my employer argued 
No, that'll hurt poor people. They need broadcast TV. They can't afford cable. So the FCC limited cable TV for years. And that helped me make more money. <laughs> Certainly it does. That's the effect of licensing. That is, the people who are in the industry have the ability to artificially inflate prices and their wages as a result. And consumers are worse off. I was better off. You were much better off, but now we realize everyone else was worse off. That's what the bottleneck does. It limits choices, thereby raising prices and enriching older businesses. There are so many bottlenecks. We'll show you a bunch in the next episode. We'll also show you how these problems can be better solved by the free market. Market regulation actually is enough for the vast majority of occupations out there. Bottleneckers around America, they make life worse for you. So we're talking about going through this, this crisis phase when people are so divided and you get extremists like that extreme uh, politics like Joe Biden's speech uh, and also the con you know, condoning political violence like the Democrats did in the uh, summer of the George Floyd riots and like some people did on January 6th. I mean, I, I thought that was also a disgusting event, but I thought it was much less uh problematical than the George Floyd riots because the George Floyd riots were based entirely uh, on a lie and were incredibly violent and much more uh, fatal. Uh, and every Democrat supported them. No Democrat spoke out against them, where many Republicans spoke out against January 6th, including on this show, including me. Uh, you know, so that it really, they're not comparable. But and the question is always, it's, it's scary. Is this crisis the end? Is this the end of America? Or is it a phase into which we'll build a better America? I'm actually pretty hopeful. And one reason is, is I think a turning point in this phase was the lockdown um, during COVID, during the Chinese flu, the lockdown, because it showed that these people are mediocrities. We're being led by mediocrities. And I think a lot of people are starting to get this. And I think that is also being revealed in the leadership uh, of the through the green movement, this green stuff. Uh, you know, it's a good thing we have uh, the federalism because we get to watch California and see how bad things are under leftist government. Uh, you know, right now we have banks uh, testing companies for how, before they give them money uh, to see how their policies will affect the weather in a hundred years. And you know what the answer is? They don't know. They have no idea. They have zero idea. Uh, and they say, oh, yes, we know exactly. They don't know. And if they knew, they couldn't do anything about it. So all of this stuff is fake, but they're putting it all into place in California. And I love the fact they want everybody to buy an electric car. They've banned uh, gas guzzling cars uh, in the up. I, I can't remember when it is. It's like 2035 or something, but now they have no electricity, so you can't charge your cars, and they're in the midst of a heat wave, which they say is unprecedented, but it's not. The heat in uh, California does go up uh, to three figures uh, from time to time, and it's doing that now, and of course, they're terrified their electric grid is going to fail. And so before, uh, so Gavin Newsom comes out. I, this is this is hilarious. I'll tell you why it's hilarious after he says it. But here is Gavin Newsom. Well, I'll tell you now. He's wearing a fleece and a hat. Why? Because he's obviously in a highly air-conditioned room. So he's wearing all his warm clothes. And this is what he has to say. Everyone has to do their part to help step up for just a few more days. Individuals, the state, industries, business, all doing their part to help reduce strain on the grid. Now, here's specifically what you can do in the early morning hours, particularly tomorrow and the next day or so, pre-cool your home. Run your air conditioning earlier in the day when more power is available. And we encourage you to close your windows and blinds to keep your home cool as well. 
And today and tomorrow afternoon after 4 p.m., in particular 4 p.m., please turn your thermostat up to 78 degrees or higher and avoid to the extent possible using any really large appliances. And of course, you want to drink your own urine and we're not wishing anything bad on your parents. But if they should die from the heat, make sure to ice them so you can eat them later. Uh, you know, this is California. This state should be paradise and would be paradise if it weren't run by Democrats. And by the way, you know, they have pour all these subsidies into solar and wind power. And that's because their buddies are there. That's that's because those are the people who are electing them. They're giving them money. And so what happens? They cl then close the nuclear uh, gener generators and gas generators uh, that, ha you know, they make it harder for for them. So they have to run around the clock and save money. And many of them have shut down. And that means that they lack the energy they need and have to bring it in from other states. So it's a complete, absolute, complete uh, boondoggle. In Europe, prices are skyrocketing for the winter. That's because they relied on uh, Russian uh, energy and Trump warned them about it and they laughed. Uh, I'm sure the EU is you know, proposing all these very harsh measures. I'm sure the British, if they're we're so busy mourning the death of their uh, of their queen. They'd be celebrating the fact that they're not in the EU anymore. But here is here is the thing. Here is Bjorn Lomborg, the uh, reasonable uh, environmentalist. He had a piece in the New York Post, the newspaper of record. And here's what he says. He says, in the 1920s, around half a million people were killed by weather disasters, whereas in the last decade, the death toll averaged around 18,000. Big drop. From the 1920s, half a million people were killed by weather disasters. Now, in the last decade, 18,000. Around 1900, he says, around 4.5% of the land area of the world would burn every year. Over the last century, this declined from 4.5 to 3.2. In the last two decades, satellites show even further decline. In 2021, just 2.5% burned. And despite what you may have heard about record-breaking costs from weather disasters, mainly because wealthier populations build more expensive houses along coastlines, damage costs are declining, not increasing, as a percent of GDP. Now, all of this, by the way, these declines in weather-related deaths and disasters are because of capitalism, because we've gotten so rich, we can defend ourselves from the effect of bad weather. He goes on, a decade ago, environmentalists loudly declared that Australia's magnificent Great Barrier Reef was nearly dead, killed by bleaching caused by climate change. The UK Guardian even published an obituary, okay? This year, scientists revealed that two-thirds of the Great Barrier Reef shows the highest coral cover seen since records began in 1985. The Good News Report got a fraction of the attention. Not long ago, environmentalists constantly used pictures of polar bears to highlight the dangers of climate change. Polar bears featured in Al Gore's terrifying movie, An Inconvenient Truth. The reality is that polar bear numbers have been increasing from somewhere between five and 10,000 polar bears in the 1960s up to around 26,000 today. We don't hear this news. Instead, campaigners just quietly dropped using polar bears in their activism. The deadliest environmental problem, air pollution, was four times more likely to kill you in 1920 than today, mostly through people in poverty cooking and heating with dung and woods. As we get richer, we handle these things better. Consider all the attention devoted to heat waves. In the United States and many other parts of the world, heat deaths are actually declining because access to air conditioning helps much more than rising temperatures hurt. However, almost everywhere, 
the cold quietly kills many more. What happened to global warming? The cold is killing people much more. On a broader scale, global warming prompts celebrities and politicians to fly around the world in private jets, lecturing the rest of us while we spend less on problems like hunger, infectious diseases, and a lack of basic schooling. When did politicians and movie stars ever meet for an important cause like deworming children? Climate change fear is causing life-changing anxiety. You might be hearing nothing but bad news, but that doesn't mean you're hearing the full story. You know, at the big turning points in history, uh, you know, think leadership changes. Winston Churchill, in his wonderful memoir of his youth, said that he was there at a dinner party before World War I with all of the leaders of the free world. The most powerful heads of Europe were there. He was at another dinner party uh, after World War I, and there were all the leaders of, the Euro- of Europe were there, and they were all different people. Uh, this is a changing of the guard that we're going through. This crisis is going to mean a changing of the guard. It's a changing of generations. Uh, these people have proved themselves utterly incompetent. They have proved themselves incompetent during COVID. They've proved them so- they're proving themselves incompetent in California. They're proving themselves incompetent in their panic over uh, climate change. I can't promise, obviously, that we're going to survive, but I believe we will. And instead of getting roped into their anger, uh, which is the devil's cocaine, or accepting the logic that if they're evil, we have to be evil, we want to come out of this phase as a man or a woman of truth, as better people, ready to build a better country. I definitely, definitely think we can do that. Wow, that was great. Do you want more? Of course you do. Like and subscribe and subscribe to the Andrew Clavin Podcast. Mm-hmm.